This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs, as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. Hunter, Chris? listeners, uh, uh, this is tough. Um, you know, usually at the beginning of the show is when we talk about something fun. Maybe we make a couple jokes. Maybe we see something goofy. But uh, I, I think you'll notice that we, we didn't put it on an episode last week. And honestly, I've just been, I've been kind of going down a rabbit hole. And I found some really disturbing stuff that... Oh, wow. I've got to share with you guys, and I, I, I just think we have to talk about it. But at the same time, it's just some of the most bizarre, disturbing information that I've really ever come across, and that's why, like, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't even feel like it's right to make jokes here. Is this something that you? I mean, is this something you can actually share on the podcast, Chris? Like, is it, is it too much? Like, should we think about maybe not putting it on the show? Like, it's one of, I think we have to, Hunter. Like, I, I'm so upset and disturbed by the information that I've come across. And I, I wish that, I wish I didn't have the compulsion to tell people about this. Like, I wish I could just go back to two weeks oh, wow. ago before I had seen this and, and not have to make this show and not have to make this episode. But I just don't think that I can. Okay. Um, well, I, I trust you, buddy. I, I get it. Okay. So let me just come out and say it. I, I, there's a vast, neo-nazi conspiracy taking place right here in america and and specifically it's a resurgence of the hitler youth and hunter when i started uncovering the ends of this and going through their material i i I found some of their propaganda that they're actually giving to children to indoctrinate them in the hitler let me just read some of this to you okay okay please yeah that will help me (sighs) okay one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. This one has a little star. This one has a little car. Say what a lot of fish there are. I am sorry that you had to hear that, everyone. Uh, wow. <laughs> had, had no idea. Hunter, here's the craziest part. I was actually indoctrinated. I, I yeah. had read Dr. Seuss as a child. I had no idea that he was a neo-Nazi. Oh my goodness! And, and infecting the look, look at this: one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. See if you hear this: one fish, two fish, red fish, Jew fish. <gasps> now, Hunter, wow! Second page: black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. This one has a little star, huh? A little star pinned to his jacket. You neo-Nazi Susian scum! Wow! A little star of David, maybe? It's absolutely disgusting. This puts and, uh, the cat in the hat in just a whole different perspective for me. I just don't even yeah. know what to do with it. The shat and the old chapeau. Yeah, uh, exactly right. Anyhow, <laughs> what I'm really trying to say is that uh, leftism is brain worms. And anybody that thinks that that uh, Dr. Seuss's white supremacist needs medication uh, immediately and in copious quantities, uh, 
I just, I literally cannot believe that the Dr. Seuss estate is canceling their own work because it said like slant eyes in it one time. That is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm, I'm looking forward to me, honestly, I, I, I hate violence. I'm not a proponent of violence, but if there is a Dr. Seuss killer who's a racially motivated activist, uh, I'm going to watch the trial. Like I, I don't, I can't think of anything <laughs> more absurd than that except um you curl pearl clutching nimbies are taking it oh so very seriously i just With love that, the manchurian oh please 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 continue <laughs> what what if we just activated him the manchurian candidate by reading yeah. the, the first passage just the one fish he's like i i think i have to annex the sudetenland exactly um, right exactly yeah. right it's hard to tell the difference honestly when you look at the illustrations it's just like dare Sturmer for kids no doubt uh Anyhow, with that, welcome to the show. This is Carl Pooling. Thank you for joining us again. This is the 643rd thousandth episode. So mm. we appreciate you joining us. It's a podcast that'll get you fired. We talk about all the things that you're not allowed to, like religion and politics and science and poetry and philosophy and uh, Nazi propaganda. So we appreciate you joining us once again. We've got a huge show for you this week. I'm very excited uh, because we're joined by a good friend of mine, a uh, a brilliant guy, somebody that uh, has been on a journey for quite a while investigating some of the deeper mysteries of, of religion and the Bible. He is uh, a scholar and a learner and a champion and a hero and a legend at least he is to me. Thanks for joining us today, Chris Foster. Wow, that's quite the intro. Thanks that, for uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And it's my doctor, first podcast, a neurosurgeon, an yeah. astrophysicist. Hey, there's nothing he can't. I do. do. I, I do have a T-shirt that says, "I'm not a doctor, but I'll take a look anyway." So <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, that's really that reminds nice. me of a, a very one of my favorite memes on my phone that I'll have to send you after the show because cool. uh, we don't have the explicit rating yet. iTunes won't give us the explicit rating. We've been trying so hard. Um, so hard. Anyhow, uh, yeah, we're he's going to join us today. Uh, we we start we kind of got into a discussion uh, at a party, kind of a party, a poker night about some about some religious concepts. And you know, Foster and I have been friends for a couple of years now. We met playing a, a video game way back in the day. We met playing Destiny, OG Destiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bungie's been following us around to our podcast recording sessions with lag issues and, and technical <laughs> hiccups. So it's kind of fun to make them a part of it after all this time. Anyhow, and uh, we got into the, a discussion and kind of started discussing the Bible and some theology and some maybe some issues that we saw in the modern interpretation and theology around Christianity. And so I was like, well, you got to let's not talk here anymore. Let's go talk on the show. So very happy to have him. So uh, Hunter, before we jump into today's topic, which I'm super excited about, I was hoping you could you could go to the the trunk or in the UK, what they call the boot. If you could this this week, did you from following all the uh, all the Kate what is it, Princess, Princess, whoever, and William, and I have what are no their names? idea where I learned it, and I don't care. So all all I know is that I've always hated British royalty, and now mm-hmm. I hate them so much more. And there's nothing funnier than millionaires complaining to billionaires about how oppressed they are. 
it is um, it is quite adorable. It makes me very happy. It was also a shock to me to learn that Megan was a pock of color because she just looks like white. But ah. apparent apparently, you know, different members of the uh different members of the staff over there of the royal family were concerned with how quote dark the baby would be. Uh barf no one they're quite they're quite pasty over there so (laughs) so is she if she's a person of color she she's barely scraping by sure um but but also do you know that she's currently under investigation over there because she was apparently abusing the the help oh my goodness no i didn't know that that's very interesting so what a gem what a gem she was the the plot Um, thickens my money's on the queen uh she can move diagonally uh as far as she wants <laughs> um she's really just the strongest piece on the board in my opinion so anyway that's true we'll what- actually if you've seen the queen recently i don't think you're gonna have to be worried about her moving as far as she'd like to anyhow <laughs> hunter can you yeah. please go to the boot open yep. it up and and bestow upon us the roadkill that you've collected this week let me see what I've got here. Uh, yeah, that one's going to do. Um, so Unilever, you know, the soap company that makes Dove soap, right? I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not, fir- I don't have firsthand experience with their products, but I've heard about soap. Yes. Okay. I'm going to Amazon some directly to your house real quick. <laughs> it's um, an emergency. It's an emergency for you to understand. Um, they're going to re- be removing the word. Can you guess? Any guesses? Dirt? Yes, that's right. Normal from all of their products to champion a new era of beauty, which is both equitable and inclusive. So check that out. How do you like that? They're removing the word normal? Right. So you can no longer buy normal soap. So, like, I think I've seen something about this. So, like, there's, like, for oily skin or for dry skin, and then they have just their natural... Like, normal know, they're, skin. They're, they're, and now you can't say for normal skin anymore. No, no, no. Maybe, like, original. Maybe, like, deep clean. <laughs> original. Maybe original boneless. Skin. Oh, God. No. <laughs> Extra hot. Okay, I'm just going to rant for just a second here. What? You? You guys, you guys interrupt me if you need to. Uh. Equitable beauty... <laughs> like the whole point of beauty is that it's inequitable. Like if if everything was equitably beautiful, if everything was of equal value from a beauty standpoint, there would be no beauty at all. Like literally the point of beauty is contrast. You can't have equitable beauty. That just means like gray jumpsuits for everybody, which they would probably like because I think they're playing from Chairman Mao's book. But like that that as a concept is such a stupid thing to aim for. And also the idea that women are interested in equitable beauty, because let's be honest, they're not doing this for men. The idea that that someone is is attracted to that prospect from a company, like how low could you possibly aim? I'm going to go buy some products that will make me look exactly like everybody else. That's why women buy makeup, right? Like that's why we yeah. buy beauty products so that we can become part of the gray, undulating, formless mass that mm. is equitable beauty what a stupid idea so sexy so sexy i don't when you said undulating mass i got really excited so there was no apostrophe hunter it was just like mass like one of the you know like like time space energy and mass not like my ass right like Um, a boulder but jiggly 
I get it. <laughs> Good God. All right. <laughs> Save me from this torment. Um, anyhow, uh, Unilever, C minus. <laughs> I rate you two showers mm. and a hand wash uh, out of five. All right. Well, enough of enough of that and the royal family and uh, Dr. Seuss and his his vile propaganda. Let's get into today's topic. So, let me introduce it for just a second, and then hopefully I shut up so that the show retains some amount of intellectual credibility. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about the church in America. And we're going to talk about a specific aspect of it, but to set the stage and to tell you why this matters. For one, if you're not a religious person but you're a, a critical person, the fall of the church should disturb you. And the reason that it should disturb you is because up until the past, let's call it 60, 70 years, the church was the primary cohesive unit of American society. And before that, across the world, the, the church is the the binding that holds together the social fabric of our country, or at least it has been for a long time. It's the primary body that, uh, that gives charity. It's the primary body that, that truly houses the homeless and, and clothes the impoverished and feeds the hungry. So it matters as a social institution, even if you don't find its religious connotation, particularly appealing, uh, if you are religious, of course, it matters to you inherently. And, and if you're serious about your religion, then the, the theology of the church is very important to you. I think in the past, let's call it 20-something years, we've been seeing a movement from the church from a place of focusing on pure, unadulterated truth, uh, which they would define as God and God's word, into some anti-truth form, some anti-truth styles. Let me give you some examples. So we've got, we've got the seeker-friendly church who looks at the gospel and says, this is, these sayings are too harsh. Let's tone these down to get more people in the door. You've got the, the your best life now crowd, which I almost equate to the televangelist, uh, the Joel Olsteins of the world that preach a type of prosperity gospel that isn't actually in the Bible. And you've got a number of different fractious units. You have some that go the other way, right? Like you've got some that say you're not really a Christian if you're not dancing in the spirit and speaking in tongues, mm -hmm. which of course there's biblical seeds for all these ideas, but it's not the core truth of the scripture. And so I think what we've been seeing in the church is a move away from truth to a version of the truth that is comfortable to us. And, you know, I, I perceive that as a movement away from God directly, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall come to the Father but through me. So, in light of all that, today we're going to be discussing one of the trends that is becoming more prevalent in the church, and that is the trend of universalism. Um, so Chris, why don't you give us just like an overview of what that topic means, how you're, how you became interested in it and, uh, kind of set the stage for us there. 
Um, yeah, sure. I mean, what it means, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, it means, you know, no matter what, all will be reconciled to God, no matter their path. So, um, I mean, I I think specifically we're going to be talking about Christian universalism, not necessarily as it equates to all world religions. Mainly we'll be focusing on how it relates to Christianity and whether or not it makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, from, from there, I've been on this journey. I think you mentioned earlier over many years, I would say over the last 10 years, I've just been in a mode of seeking, digging, um, and, and learning. And every day I learned something new. Um, but in the context of universalism, I should, I guess I should start by saying that I'm not a universalist. I think mm-hmm. I should state that up front because I think some of the things I'm about to say might suggest the opposite in some scenarios, but um but I'm not a universalist. Um but what I am is a a person that believes that God is all-powerful, you know, and and has a desire to see everyone come to him. Um mm-hmm. and so as I've been kind of digging and reading through the Old Testament in the past, um, I would say six, seven months, um, some things kind of struck me about the concept of universalism. Um, and that was just that I kind of saw this, I saw this from the perspective that we have the benefit of, of having everything from Genesis to Revelation today, right? And, and we kind of look at that as the the entire story. So from Genesis to Revelation, that's it. And so as I've been reading through the Old Testament, some things struck me, and one of those things was that throughout time, everyone thought they knew the whole story based on whatever they knew in that moment, right? And so, you know, you went from pre-Egypt years with Abraham, you know, and he's kind of just talking to God and getting to know him. And, you know, there was nothing there, no writings, no nothing. It was just communication with God by Abraham. And then that moves to, you know, this period of time in, in Egypt where, you know, there's these promises that were given to Abraham, but, you know, they're not fulfilled yet. Then you have this Moses guy show up and he's like, hey, God did remember you and here's all these crazy signs and we're going to, he's going to pull you out of Egypt. And in the process of that, they go through the wilderness, they go to Mount Sinai, they get the law, they get shown and taught who God is and what God's purpose for them is. And then they have a set of rules and laws and regulations that the Lord gave them. And that's what they knew at that point. And it was pretty rough. I would say if you're just starting out reading the Bible, don't start in Leviticus numbers. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a depressing <laughs> place to to, to stay. Um, but God was serious in in that time. And, you know, there's a story of this guy who was out collecting wood and on the Sabbath, and he got stoned. He had to be stoned to death for collecting wood on the Sabbath. 
My my point in was, saying that is that Chris, hold on, just a second. Was collecting wood a euphemism? No. <laughs> okay, all right, because I, I like I understand <laughs> that, but not just picking up sticks. right. No. Okay, anyhow, just sorry, straight up ahead. logs, and that's not a euphemism <laughs> either. Uh, <laughs> but that was their oh, reality. Man. That I guess that's my point. Is that was their reality, right? Right. Um, and then, and so. As we continue the story, you get to Second Samuel, and David receives this promise of this kingdom that will never end, right? And this line that will come from his, from his, like blood from his family. Um, this person will come and set up a kingdom that will never end. That was the first point in which we kind of really have this promise of something to come, right? Right. Right. Mm. And so this so just to wrap that kind of thought up is, you know, as I've been researching some of this just from and thinking about it from the context of a universalist's kind of mindset, I, I think where I where I ended up was that who am I to say that the story ends in Revelation? So, you know, we think this is it. This is Revelation is the end. Just like maybe the Israelites in in Egypt that had the law and all of that thought that was it. There was nothing else. That was just how it was going to be, you know. And so you have all these separate things that occur in these ages that that transpire. And in each point, God reveals something more about His plan, His ultimate plan. And so I guess that's kind of my point in looking at universalism is is I've kind of reserved myself to the idea that I don't know everything God has in store, and right. I don't know if the story continues beyond what we have today in the Bible. So I, I was I was actually having this discussion, not, not about universalism, but about this point that you're getting to at the end, Chris, which is that how much do we actually know and do we ever put God in a box? I was having this with one of my friends, interestingly enough, who actually just gave a sermon at his church on universalism. And he and I agree on most all of the points of the Bible, but our framing of them is radically different. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's like the the preacher, the evangelizer. And we got to this point in the discussion where we, we basically agreed on everything, but he was look, this is what the Bible says. I don't need anything else. Great. And and my point, which led me to the same conclusions, was I have no idea how big God is. I'm almost the beholder. I'm looking for glimpses of what could be bigger than I expect. And he's latched on to the concrete nature of, of what God is and what he's said to us. I think that both are super important. I think that both matter because there is... There is the solid foundation that we need to build our lives and our theology and our thinking and our philosophy on. And at the same time, we know that it is impossible to understand and contain the multitude and majesty of God, this eldritch, eons and eons stretching creature that exists outside of our concept of time. And I bet that the the marriage of those two ideas, the order of God and the chaos of God, provides you with a deeper insight than either one does on its own. So 
I'm not a universalist either, but I like where this discussion is going because I want to investigate how big God might be. One more thing, and Hunter, I want to see where you connect to this topic in general, but the one thing that I think you kind of dismissed and I'm going to dismiss as well is this idea of like plural theistic or non-Christian universalism. If you believe in that, great, but you're not really a Christian. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear that Jesus is the way to the Father, period. And you hear, there's, it's actually interesting to me that there's a bunch of other religious groups that tend toward the universalist. Like, for instance, there's several Muslims that I've met who, when you start discussing Christianity, they go, oh, we worship the same God. And they'll say the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham. It's interesting that it usually doesn't go to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, because that kind of cuts them out of the pie. Regardless, they, they'll have this, this saying that they worship the same God, and then, of course, there's all the New Age sex. I actually call this type of universalism the coexist bumper sticker universalism, where it's all the religious symbols, you know, and iconography represented in the word coexist, because that's the idea. It's just like everybody who's a good person goes to heaven. I think the Bible's pretty clear about that. Maybe it's not such an interesting discussion, so let's do away with that um, and jump into the more Christian side. So, Hunter. Could well, hold, could I oh. jump in for one second? Heck yeah. I, I just I want to just add to that in that um I I think that a lot of people would respond with, you know, what about people who have never been exposed to Christ and you know have never been raised in this and you know they come from a completely different background. I think the the quick answer to that is is I believe that God Christ always provides a way. Okay, and so I don't know when that will occur, but I believe that everybody has an opportunity to know truth. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, I think the Bible is very clear on that. In fact, uh, I'll tell you just one quick story and continue to delay what everyone really wants to hear, which is Hunter talk. Yes, uh, but I'll tell you one quick story, which I think is so <laughs> excellent. Um, I, my mother, when she was young, uh, when she was in college, she went on a mission trip to. Kenya. I don't think I've told this on the show before. She went on a mission trip to Kenya and she was out in the sticks. It was not exactly the bill of goods that she thought she was being sold. They had like tribal translators with them and there was like runners that would go and make sure that they could, you know, be welcomed into the next tribe that they were going to visit. And they stayed in, you know, dung huts and it was, it was a mess. So anyway, they go out and they're showing the Jesus film, which is kind of this, this a linguistic uh, film that explains the story of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. They show it one night, and this woman is kind of gobsmacked in awe in a lot of ways of of the film. And the translator and her approach my mother, and this this woman out in the, a tribe in the middle of Africa tells my mother, thank you for showing us this. We always knew he existed, but we never knew what to call him. Mm. And that like blew my mind when I first heard it. But then you read Romans 2, and it says that that his power, even his eternal Godhead, is clearly evident through the things which he has made so that none are without excuse. So maybe that's a little universalistic of me to say that, um, to say that, you know, you don't have to know the name Jesus to get into heaven, which the Bible also says there's no under name under heaven by which men might be saved. But at the same time, 
that Jesus is certainly bigger than just the person of Jesus or the flesh and bones of Jesus. There, there, his spirit lives on and his spirit lives in us. And that, to, to say that his power is known and his Godhead is known through the things that he's made, so none are without excuse. I mean, to me, that has to mean that there is something bigger than the felt board Bible story of Jesus by which men might be saved. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there's, mm-hmm. I have some maybe sacrilegious doubts there as well. Anyway, Hunter, where are you coming at this conversation from? Yeah, um, this is kind of going back like 13 steps in the conversation, but (laughs) um, Foster kind of, Chris Foster there. I don't know if we said that yet, but Foster kind of mentioned the different ages of, if you will, uh, in the Bible, and I I think that's done on purpose. I think I think God made um, these different covenants, you know, with Adam and Eve and uh, Noah and Abraham and David and so on and so forth and Moses, and I think they were all um, legitimate offers, so to speak. Um, and I think they were, and what I mean by that is. They were, hey, if you carry out the law, then this is a done deal, and we don't need to move past that. Right. So, mm. so the question becomes, well, what was the purpose in doing the bad deals then, so to speak? Right? What was the purpose in carrying out the parts of the covenant that, if God is all-knowing, knew we would fail? And I think it's, I think it's um, w- one side of that is obviously because with the benefit of time— which is something that we have to perceive the actions of God with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can get a fuller picture of his grace, his mercy, and everything like that. Um, it, it lays it out for us, so it's no, it's it's never a, um, well, I wonder what it would be like if God actually, uh, if we were actually kicked out of this paradise, right? Like, we never <laughs> have that worry, so to speak, um, as a Christian. Um, the other side of that is, I think... I think it also just wanted, was an attempt to show us how unworthy we were of um, all of it. God's love, sure. God's kindness, God's mercy, and just show that all the ways where we could absolutely fail at. And I think um, you get this a lot in the life of Jesus because he's almost talking out of two sides of his mouth uh, at certain points, or at least it feels that way to me where he's like, Hey, I've come to pay the price, you know, but at the same time, you can make me king, you know, right. and I, I think there's, I think there's parts in the, uh, uh, the gospels where it kind of feels like, um, he knows exactly what's going to happen to him, but the deal is still there on the table of, uh, making him Lord, so to speak, uh, which is what the Jewish prophecy was of the Messiah. Right. Um, right. It's like, well, that's kind have... of where that's kind of where modern Judaism is is stuck. At least that's the right. Christian interpretation of modern Judaism, right? Right. Right. And so I think I think all of that was. I think all of those were like good deals made by God to man, um, meaning at any time we had the choice to stop there, but we are a don't want that, and b are incapable of it at, at some level. Um, and so I think that I think taking that to revelation and then I will shut up, um, which is interesting is 
revelation to me is a good indication that something about the church is a little broken too. Um, you think about the key verses that have to do with the church. Uh, they'll know you by by your love for one another, right? And the unity we're called to have together in Ephesians. And then you can just look at all the mindless factions um, that are in there, the Lutherans, the Catholics, the Orthodox, the um, Seventh-day Adventists, the Baptists, the Methodists, right? The Presbyterians, it just goes on and on. The non-denominationals, and it's like, what in the world is even happening there to some extent? It's like in the very basic things we are asked to do as believers in Christ, it seems that we couldn't even manage those, right? Uh, there's that awesome like text where Paul basic or Peter takes the law and he like distills it down to like four commandments that the Gentiles have to carry out. And like, we obviously can't even manage that too. Mm -hmm. Um, Point, point being is not that, not that that's necessarily to say that, you know, we're supposed to be doing all these works, but it's like this mission was supposed to be carried out in God's love and power. And it's, and it's become corrupted and stuff. And I think, I think that has something to do with why Jesus comes back with a sword in his mouth. Like there's a reason for judgment at the end. Right. Right. Um, so well, what is the rest of the story that we don't know? And I think we're, I think we're Foster's laid out this point. Well, is that we take it very for granted that that's the end. And what does that mean in the regards to universalism, if anything at all? So, well, uh, in my opinion, like when God comes back and, and a flaming sword comes out of his mouth, that means that Jesus is a, is a carny now. And I just don't think that we can get too much further than that. Like he's had a bunch of jobs, but he used to be a carpenter, then he was a king, and now he's a sword swallower and a fire breather. I just feel like his career path trajectory just doesn't lead anywhere else to go. So that's personally why I think Revelation is the end. Um. And obviously, that was just nonsense. So, anyway, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no. Let's let's get let's get into it then. So, um, with with Christian universalism, Foster, you were bringing up before the show that you basically see three different kinds of Christian universalism. So, let, maybe let's like like define those and sure. dig into them a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think the three are one universalism. Um, the second one I would say is probably the most widely um, adopted or believed. I think it's the oldest kind of tradition, which is eternal torment, which is the idea that, you know, if you don't accept Christ at in the end comes, you're going to spend eternity, you know, tormented in the lake of fire and, you know, that's kind of hell like and, the traditional you know, hell. Yeah, you know, fire and brimstone, gnashing of teeth for eternity kind of thing. Um, and, and then I'd say the third one is annihilationism, which is the idea that, and it talks about it in Revelation, and Christ talks about, it, I think, in Matthew 25, too, is the second death, and talks about how, you know, there will come a point where, you know, both Satan and all of his legions and those whom he separated when he separated the sheep from the goats will be cast into this um, lake of fire, which he calls the second death. Um, And largely that's, I I think linked to where Christ talks about, do not fear those who can kill your body, but 
you know, the one who can kill your soul. And so this idea right. that the second death is just an absolute end, you're annihilated from existence, um, you know, kind of scenario. So I think those are the three main, there might be ones in between those that I'm not fully aware of, but I think those are the three main ones. Sure. So let me start with the annihilation idea, because I think that this is an interesting point when we kind of try and stop looking at things from humans' perspective and start looking at things from God's perspective a little bit, or at least what I assume is God's perspective. So this idea that death means annihilation is a very human-centric idea. Like, we are temporally bound creatures. Mm -hmm. We have a start, and we have a perceived end, right? Like, we think... Because when when somebody dies, you can't talk to them anymore. When somebody dies, they're no longer animate. You can't do that? When somebody dies... (laughs) <laughs> well, I, well I, I I haven't leveled up enough to I haven't put enough points in arcane uh arcane it's a level revival. seven resurrection spell. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. So, but you know, like from a human perspective, like death is the end. Right. If if Foster, if you die, that's the last time I'll get to talk to Foster. Right. So this idea that that the lights just turn off is is human centric in a way. Death. If God created everything, God created death. Death to God. I mean, he describes it in the Bible. People that die and their spirit lives on um, and, and goes to different places. You know, there's there's uh, Lazarus whose spirit returns to him. There's the man who is across the gulf, across the expanse, uh, right. presumably in hell or Hades, and he's asking for a drop of water to be put on his tongue, right? He's died, but he's st- his, his, there's something about his soul that, that remains. And so for God... The author of death, if you will, uh, death is not annihilation. Quite literally, it's almost like a state change. It's it's a change from solid to vapor, if you will. So when when they when God uses the the term, you know, like second death, or can annihilate the body and but also annihilate the spirit, I think that we're putting a little bit of our own ideation around the concept of death to think that that means that there's just an abrupt stop. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that we always try and um, associate our own knowledge to that of God's. Yeah. (laughs) You know? For for sure. (laughs) I mean, that's, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I, I don't know what else I can say about it other than, that's the belief structure of annihilationism is that right. you cease to exist. Um, but I think that in your, in, in your description of this, you're suggesting that that never does occur potentially. Yeah. Like I, I kind of don't believe in that for the first death or the second death. Right. You know, so wouldn't that um, potentially leave a chapter of unwritten word left somewhere that those in the lake of fire may be able to get, have redemption. I think like, like and Hunter and you have both been like nipping around the edges of this and I want to get into it. <laughs> I think that that's totally possible. Uh, let's, let's go through these other two ideas real fast and then kind of get into sure. like the generalized section there because i think that's where the meat of this conversation really comes in so the next idea is like the quote-unquote universalist or purgatorial christian idea which is where you've got some kind of uh lobby or waiting room 
in the afterlife where people that did not make their path correct on earth can essentially pay penance and redeem themselves for their for their misdeeds etc right. and then eventually be accepted into presence right. with god and you see this in a bunch of religions too like yeah this is- I'd, I'd say that's mainly catholic catholicism um yeah. has is big on purgatory um and that's kind and, of like they're huge fans yeah even even the like modern jewish religion like that that has this idea of like paradise or purgatory as well incorporated into it i don't know the specific mechanics of it um but it's it's a pretty popular idea yeah even but even so that's that would be a temporary thing in right in in any belief structure that incorporates this idea of a purgatory or a quote-unquote paradise until it's it's always to the until point Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that's um, everything. All of that eventually leads to judgment and then the ultimate, which is it's always been kind of weird to me to think you're going to go to this purgatory, which is kind of like a paradise. And then all of a sudden, at the end of time, you might just get tossed into eternal torment after you've been chilling in paradise for who knows how long, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is this is one of the it, this is the most boring part of Dante's Divine Comedy, uh, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, Hell's Inferno's pretty great, right? I mean, all the people getting like stabbed by demons and in lakes of fire. I mean, that's that's exciting stuff. And then you go to heaven, and it's like whoa this is awesome all this cool stuff is happening then you go to purgatory and it's like yeah i gotta push this rock up this hill like a lot (laughs) and it's like that kind of sucks you know and i'm being a little funny but you know just a little just a very little sure thanks i appreciate it you're welcome but you know i think purgatory um anything could be beyond death right um, we're trying to use human language to describe what life is past human experience, right? And so, like, it, it's difficult to say. I mean, like, it, it could very well be something like that. Um, it seems not to be in the rightness of things. Um, and it doesn't seem like there's a scriptural base for it, which is why I think I kind of don't necessarily think it's that I don't think that it, that exists, but you know, then again, it's, it's something I, I I know next to nothing about. And every person alive knows next to nothing about you're, Um, you're saying no, no scriptural basis for potentially a, a second chance after death. Or do you mean like specifically of like a purgatory, like a, like a place called purgatory? Or a Both. state called Both. Purgatory. Okay. Yeah, there's like, at least the arguments that I've heard, and you guys tell me if you've heard better ones, I've heard these arguments like the the good thief, right? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And right. a unique word is used there from the word for heaven, and people are like, well, that implies, you know, a different location, potentially. It, I, right. It could, but I also call my house a home, you know, which is like, it, you, you see what I mean? It's it It could be like... Yeah, or your home could be paradise, 
I always find like it shut str- it. Yeah, I always <laughs> find it strange that God says he goes to prepare a mansion for us and I'm like, what does that even begin to mean? Right? Yeah. Like, right. like is that is that a house? You know, am I getting a house in infinite eternity? Like right. What am I in that experience? It just doesn't. The space of that doesn't make sense to me. Heaven is a gated community, (laughs) right? Exactly. It is big pearly gates. I know. That's (laughs) that's some fancy. No, just stuff they ought to pick. I I wanted to touch on one thing you said, Hunter, um, because I think it's it goes back to my ultimate kind of view and point is you were saying how there's no real scriptural basis for this second chance. And I guess that I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I mean, I, I would totally be in agreement that, you know, universalism is not a thing. It's clear what happens, all of that kind of stuff. But I think what my ultimate point is, is that you go back in time and the, the Israelites knew what they knew. And, and, and so when, when you get to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the things that they're, they're you know, speaking and preaching about God would then come against a lot of the, the Jewish law, which is what a lot of the issue was, right, mm-hmm. with these prophets, mm-hmm. because it's like, well, this, that's not scriptural. But it hadn't mm-hmm. even been written yet, is my point, right? So... And I think that's the ultimate point that of mine is yes, that we we look at this as if this is it and nothing else can be written beyond God cannot write beyond the last letter of revelation in his in this story of eternity. And right. And so you know that's why I wanted to clarify early on that I'm not, I'm not a universalist but it sure sounds like it sometimes. Um but it's just a matter of putting like this box around it. And I think that mm-hmm. as Christians, sometimes we can fall into doctrine and religion to a point to where that's it. And right. and and there's no, no other discussion that can be had. And this is the end of the line. And that's it. You know, well, and and. The- I mean, basically what we're getting at is, do we have like an anachronistic bias? And the idea that that couldn't be the case is kind of a foolish one. Because think about right. think about all the things that we would believe right now if we simply never grew out of, let's say, an 1800s anachronistic bias. Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. we wouldn't know a thing about nuclear energy. You go back a little bit further, we would think that the Earth was the center of the known universe. Uh, we wouldn't know that that the only constant observable around the cosmos is the speed of light. We would think that if you measured something, it would measure the same no matter how fast it was going or or how uh, much gravity to, was being acted on it. I wouldn't be able to imagine Corian countertops in my mansion. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. So like, I mean, like, th- I mean, like, well, Jesus said mansion in like two thousand years ago. I mean, I've got standards. Yeah. You know? Oh no, it's <laughs> like, gonna be mine's gonna be the deck of of, uh, of the uh, Star Trek ship, which is just <laughs> like sped away from my mind at warp speed. Okay, right I'll have to settle I, for well, the Millennium Falcon then. Yeah, I I agree with you, Foster. I think I think there's a problem there. I I think it's I think that there's an issue with like 
um, putting your own interpretation on this thing. Well, yeah. And I think, go ahead. I, I wouldn't say it's, it's even an interpretation. It's a limitation. Meaning, yes, meaning right. we're, we're putting a limitation on what God can and can't do post the last letter of revelation. And, yeah. and that's, that's my sensitivity to the argument, I think. And it's, it's kind of like a, I'm just skimming by kind of thing with it. Does that make sense? It's mm -hmm. yeah, because I'm not going to commit to being a universalist because I could be completely wrong. That could be the end of the story. That can be it. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. Right. 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 But it certainly doesn't have to be. It certainly doesn't have and, to be. Right. And, and for instance, you know, just like we were given the law to explain to ourselves why we needed grace and forgiveness, mm -hmm. why can it not be that we were given grace and forgiveness for an even higher purpose that we don't know yet? You know, right. I, I'm not saying that the story doesn't make sense the way it's construed to me, because it does. But the idea that I've contained the multitude of God is certainly not the case. You know, one of the things that I, I love Revelation mostly because it's like a like a metal music video, like Hunter was <laughs> talking about uh, from Dante's Inferno, but also because it is the book that really, it turns your eyes up and wide. And, you know, one of the things, if you've had a long enough biblical discussion with me is I will repeat the phrase, maybe that's what the, the um, what is it, the uh, hurricane said or the tornado said what is it in revelation uh the whirlwind. storm yeah the whirlwind i'll say maybe that's what the whirlwind said because you know i think it's so interesting that even in the bible something gets said and they're like don't write that down yet um right <laughs> and, and foster that's kind of what you're talking about yeah like, it's like don't in a way don't write like, that yet they, people don't need to know this even in the book it says that there are that there's information being withheld from us. Right. And, and that's an amazing thing to think about. If you if you truly wrap your mind around it, and I probably haven't, but before we go further to the future, I want to go to the past for a second, because this, this desire that we have to force God into a compartment where he can only be that which he has already told us that he is and that we understand him is an old feeling. Mm -hmm. It's a familiar feeling. And the reason that is the case is because it is the fall of man and the fall of the angels and the story of humanity and the scarlet letter that has followed us around since the garden. Right. The desire for the knowledge of good and evil. It, it well, yeah. hounds us. The desire and, and to be like God. That's exactly... Well, that's what the snake says. God told you not to eat this because you'll be like God. What's incredible then to me is after, in, in chapter 3, after they eat, God turns around and is talking to himself or angels, or it's not necessarily clear, but he says, now they are like God's. Like, he admits right. that there's something about the understanding of good and evil that made us more godlike. Interestingly, he uses a small g and a plural there, right. um, at least in the English translation. We the are like gods in our own understanding is right. what it means. Yeah. But, but then he says something really interesting. 
And this this kind of it blows my mind when I think about it. Then he says we have to guard the entrance to the garden so that they don't eat from the tree of life. Like that that to me is a super interesting thing. Like they have the knowledge of good and evil. If they were able to to obtain this other component, then the story would have to change. And so God says we have to ensure that they don't eat of the tree of life. And then in Revelation, Hunter, I think you were you and I were talking about this a little earlier. In mm-hmm. Revelation, it says that we will enter in and partake of mm-hmm. the tree of yes. life, which it's, it's like a fulfillment of that story. Like, and the leaves will be what? The healing to the nations. Yeah. yeah. Like I, that's it, it's an incredible idea if you if you take it even semi-literally sure. to say what was God doing there. But but the real point I'm getting that at is we know that there's information being withheld and we know that Satan said in his heart, I will be like God. And he was cast down and that Adam and Eve believe the lie that eat and you'll have the understanding of God. You'll be like God. Our desire to make God a human and make God something that we can perfectly understand is the oldest sin. In a lot of ways, it's the unforgivable sin, is to say that I will make God flesh or I will make God me. And there's a very small difference between those two right. sentences. Just to echo just some of that, not even echo it, It's <laughs> I have to just make this comment because it made me think of it, is um, have you guys ever read the Book of Enoch? Parts of parts it, of not, it. The, not cover oh, wait, to cover. No. So you know it's extra biblical, non canonical text, right? Um, but it's really interesting, and there's there's a particular line in it that I absolutely love, which kind of goes along the lines of this. It, and it was, you know, Michael the archangel came to God in the Book of Enoch and said, because you know, all these angels went down, they started teaching all the people on earth, all this mystical stuff, right? All the secrets of the universe. Mm -hmm. So Michael, the archangel goes and tells God they're, you know, these angels are teaching the humans, all these things. And God's response is basically just in a nutshell, what they think they know about the universe and about anything, they know nothing, right? Like, like these angels think that they're so intelligent teaching all these people these things, mm. but really they know nothing, mm-hmm. right? Hmm. Which, that's true, even if the book of Enoch right. isn't. Well, that's, yeah, right. exactly. I just <laughs> yeah. thought it was compelling because it, it relates similar to, like, Adam and Eve thinking they're going to be like God, and they might have a little tiny understanding of things because of what they did, but that is like a joke, in comparison to the knowledge of God. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing that I think that it highlights, and this is this is interesting in that we, when we got the when we obtained the understanding of good and evil, item unlocked, new quest line. Um, <laughs> the God said they can't ob- obtain the tree of life. It's almost as if the actual time, the eternity or as we've said on the show before, the the super fifth dimensionality of God, the fact that he exists out of time, might be way more important than we think it is. Like, 
if that tree granted eternity in the way that God has eternity, you know, alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, uh, ageless, the same yesterday, today, and forever, if that's what that missing component is, that might be way more important than that your average Sunday school gives it credit for. And that gets back mm-hmm. to this point of why should we think that that the New Testament is the end? I mean, the idea that there could be a new New Testament is perfectly plausible. And that's, I think, where these universalists get this this hope when they see this God, like how could a good God right. do bad things? And it's not his wish that any should perish. They write in, in my opinion, this method by which all might find paradise. And look, maybe there is something else that we don't know. Maybe there's not. But when you put it in that context, it seems a little self-serving. I think there's um, two points. First, that part in Revelation that you referenced about the tree of life, um, I'm just going to read that verse because I think it's so bizarre that once you realize that these two verses are connected, what's in Genesis and what's in here at the end, it just, I, I, don't, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to do with it. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter this city by the gates. For an entire book that spends a lot of the time telling you that there's nothing righteous about your life, and then to slip in in the back keep your robes clean so you can have eternal life i i i i don't know what that means like i, I every time i read that verse i just i try to break it down and i usually find like a way to but every time i read that verse i just kind of like fall apart like i don't i don't know how to make that make sense with everything and and maybe someone does and that that's great more power to them but um I haven't settled on an interpretation of that that makes me happy or feel satisfied with it yet. Um, and then I, I think the other thing to this is it's one thing to be enthralled by what God can do, but but there's a reason that Moses knew what Moses knew. Mm-hmm. Just as there's a reason that Abraham knew what Abraham knew. And it's it's this other side to the coin that's like, don't lose sight of where you're at too, because there's there's something being worked out in your age, so to speak, right? right? And it's not your right to add to it. And I think that's where the the classic universalists go wrong, right? Is there? I think there's humility in what this group is saying is. Why would we why would we hamper God down because it doesn't say this in his book, right? It doesn't actually right. tell us in a clear, meaningful way. It's quite a different thing to say that, well, then that means it can be whatever I imagine it sure. to be. Or that means it's whatever I think that looks right. like. Um and I and I think I and I don't think any of us deny that idea or are yeah. against that idea. Um but I think it's important to say because I think, uh, you know, it's it's not a license to play in the playground of God. It, it's more like a reminder of how of how big the ocean is. Right. Something a- like that. Absolutely. Right? I think that's a good point. It's um, it's not something that you take 
um, that you take, like you said, and you just go do whatever you want because there might be this chance, right? Right. Like right. you're missing the point. And, you know, and right. to, to be honest with you, that's why I don't understand so much why universalism has gained so much traction is at least in the Christian like circles, because it doesn't make any sense to just go around telling people, I mean, it does, that nothing matters. I mean, they're missing the entire mm. point of what this all means and what Christ and God did and is doing. And so yeah. that's why that's the, my biggest struggle with this concept of universalism, because it's kind of like just this, I don't know, like modern way of just accepting everybody. It's like this woke thing. It's like, oh yeah, no, cool. I'm like you, you do you, I'll do me. Nothing. There's no truth in anything. You know, we're all going to end up at the same place. I think you're missing like a huge point in terms of Christianity and what it actually means. If that's your attitude towards other mm -hmm. people um, as a Christian quote unquote universalist. Th that is the most damning argument against universalism. I'm going to put it into some like more structurally rigid terms. If when I die as a Muslim, if I can then go to a waiting place or temporary torment and from that process work out my salvation... Once my faith has become sight, if you will, or my lack of faith has become sight, rather, if that is possible, then the the death of Jesus is meaningless. The cross loses its bite because I didn't need God. All I needed was death. And if the if the Muslim faith can lead to the same location, as the Christian faith, the books say different things. They weren't both written by the same author. They're internally incoherent and incompatible, which means that at least one of them was written by man. At least one. And you might think all of them. That's your prerogative. But at least one of them was. And if, even though one was written by man, it is sufficient for salvation, then man is the author of salvation. And if man is the author of salvation, the cross is worthless. And I'm not saying that I'm putting God in a box and I'm telling you what he can and cannot do. But I know for a fact that nothing that man wrote down has in it the power to save, period. And if you, if you don't believe that, I'm sorry, but you don't believe in the God of the Bible. And I think that's a huge issue. Chris, that's why it's the this is why I'm not a universalist. <laughs> yeah. The reason I'm not a universalist isn't because there's a bunch of good scriptural arguments right. for and against, and because there's a word study you can do, and this is interesting. I'm not a universalist because I know that no matter what, I cannot be the author of my faith. And if you think that you can be, if you think that you sit on the throne, then you are your own God, not the God of the Bible, not my God. You are your God. And I would submit to you that that is a shitty action plan. Like, I have looked at my ability. Like I was saying earlier, I don't even know a level seven resurrection spell. 
I don't want to be God. There's nothing I can do to twist the arm of eternity. And if you are are presenting your theology in a mode where you have that capability, man, I check myself because there is nothing I I know from my own internal anal, analyzing. There's no redemptive power in me. There's no eternal power in me. There's nothing forever about what Chris brings to the table right. in this life. And and that's that's true I believe of everybody. But it's the it's the oldest sin. Maybe it's the unforgivable sin. Maybe saying I'll be God is the pride that causes that causes every fall and not just this fall in particular. And on top of that, the the idea that God isn't enough and his word isn't enough, uh, doesn't, you don't have to add that component in either. Like, for instance, maybe I don't have the full picture of what God is. Maybe I don't have the Third Testament, um, Joseph Smith. Maybe you're Mormon, Foster. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but here's what I believe. I don't need it. If that's the case, I don't need it. Hunter, I love what you said earlier about the covenants that every offer was a real offer and every right. author is on the table. And I know I, I have to have faith that what I know of God now is sufficient for me. Absolutely. Because I, I'm, I refuse to believe in what I can do or what I can reason or what I can figure. I believe that he's given me enough. And may, maybe I'll say one last thing and then, and then um, I want to hear what you guys think, but this is the, that's why I think the universalists are wrong, but it's also why I think they're asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Like, they're obsessed and preoccupied with how does everybody get to heaven? And the truth of the matter is that getting to heaven is not the goal of Christianity. Yeah. I, like, that, that's such a small way to think. Anyhow, I, I, I think it's more not a question of, of how does everyone get to heaven it's i think that the this whole universalism thing is more of a how do i not ruffle the feathers of anyone and not be um you know not not be confrontational with telling anyone anything negative i mean i don't think that sure. it look if if you really cared as a christian this is speaking from a christian perspective right <clears throat> if you really love people if you if you want to do them well and uh, you want to see them be successful, you should want and wish for them to find the truth that is Jesus yes. Christ and what he has done for Amen. your life. Not to say, I don't want to upset you. We're all going to the same place. You you don't have to live you know, your life the way I do. I mean, I, I mean to me, that's just crazy. You, you're missing the entire... Like, what is the point of loving God in in Christ in that scenario? I I, I like that. Um, I wrote a, a story, a short story that kind of dealt with this idea, which is um, kindness by itself is not a virtue, right? Um, and being, uh, you did a good job outlining that idea. Like, why wouldn't you tell someone something that they needed to know? And why wouldn't you reach into their life and show them love and care and 
help them find that thing that they need to change. And I think a lot of the times we don't do that because we're scared and we're, we're trying to be nice and we're actually doing people a disservice when we're doing that. And I think, um, you know, it, it, the truth is, regardless of eternal torment being real or not, right, people can live in that hell of not being connected to what's meaningful, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's, it's hard to tell. So hell is separation from God. Then hell is something you can experience on earth, right? It's, it it, it it's, is? It's, Did you say it is or isn't? It, it is. It is. Yes. Yeah, like... You can be outside of God's plan. You can be acting in a way contrary to right. It. But is um, you can. But be, are you truly separated in terms of never being able to call out to Him? No, 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 no. You're just you're not participating. Right. But that's my right? point: is not that being state. completely separated to the point to where you can't call out anymore? I think is is a much more intense thing that nobody has experienced. No living person. No, well, no, no living person. Right. I'm saying on earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think this, I think that's really the point that I was getting to foster when I, when I say that, um, when, when I say that they're missing the point of Christianity. Right. Sure. You, you don't want to offend someone, but you don't want to offend someone by saying that, their destination is secure. Christianity is is not about the destination. Hunter, no, you can right. be in the presence of God now. You can touch the face of right. eternity today, and that's the point of Christianity. It, it's not to to secure for yourself the wonderful hereafter. Right. It's to it's to be joined with the Spirit of the Savior right now and make a difference in the cosmos for all eternity even if it's just in the composition of your own soul right now and that's why for me the the preoccupation with the avoiding of torment is so non-functional i mean Mm -hmm. the truth of christianity is that in this world you will have trouble but i have overcome the world okay so i'm not saying on an internal scale but torment is guaranteed like the uh, Pain and suffering at the ex- at at the expense of believing in the cross of Jesus Christ is part of the dang story, and it's part of the bargain, and it's part of the bargain that you accept because the trade off is that everything matters now, everything matters, and that there there's beauty and and eternity and the majesty of God at your fingertips, and you can reach out and touch it right now and if you do it well enough then it through you might touch other eternal souls that's what right. christianity is all about at least i mean to me but i think there's a good case yeah for it. i think also just along those lines it's i mean when you when you come to know christ there is a contentment in your life that you can't experience any other way you yeah. can search high and low through any kind of substance, relationships, nothing will ever satisfy in this world. It might for a few weeks or a month or a year or whatever it is, but you will never be satisfied, you know? And there's a contentment and satisfaction that you're missing in life when you are not walking 
with Christ in your life? It's peace versus joy. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I should say no. It's yeah. it's happiness versus joy is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's it's happiness can be fleeting, but but joy and peace is eternal and fruits of the spirit. Um, I think it's super relevant that happiness isn't in that list. Um, Dostoevsky would say that once you have God, that's the first moment, once you really truly meet God, that's the first moment I think in your life where it's possible to love everyone and want to forgive mm-hmm. everyone. And I think, I think that I don't think that is something that I don't think that is something that apart from God you can experience in your life yeah. fully. Yeah. Forgiveness. Um, yeah, forgiving others, forgiving yourself, uh, and love, you know, we love because he first loved us. So maybe that's the practical end to this discussion. And, and it's a discussion worth having and it's worth playing the evangelizer. It's also worth playing the beholder. It's worth trying to peer through the mists uh, and see what the full picture of God might be. But at the end of the day, which is a phrase I hate, uh, <laughs> there's nothing more important. There's no higher call to being than to join your soul with the eternal forgiveness and love of God. And so your concern of for eternity should be secondary to that. And man, that's maybe that's where we leave the show today. If you don't know what that means or what that's like, the contentment that Foster was talking about and the love that Hunter mentioned via Dostoevsky or the the absolute anti-nihilistic antidote to the worthlessness of this world and the worthlessness of yourself and the worthlessness of you playing God in your own life. The cure for that isn't finding heaven. The cure for that is finding Jesus. And you can do that right now. And if you don't know what that's like or what that means, man, give us an email at carlpooling at gmail.com. Uh, I know that all of us would would be happy to discuss that with you. There's truly nothing more important that this show could be doing, or in my opinion, that anyone can be doing than, than repeating the message about what he's done for, for me. So, universalism. Here, here. Here, well, here. There's only, there's only one thing that I like to tell people more about that, Chris, and that's about getting sw- some sweet, sick that's gains. Right. Um, you, you can't do that with any uh, truth. You need protein powder. And protein powder is a lie. Uh, how so heavy do you think go, a pearly gate to, is? What are you going to open that with your weak, <laughs> weak limp, noodle, uh, liberal, you know, alphabet boy arms? Absolutely not. You're going to wow. need the intense gains um, that can only come from carlpooling.com slash FNX. It's got all your nutritional dietary supplements needs. Hunter? Look, I hate laundry. You hate laundry. Yes. How are you going to wash your robes sure. if you didn't sleep well the night before? Great sleeping aids over at fnxfit.com. Wow. What I'm saying is that no one can get to heaven except through 
fitness supplements specifically the ones that are sponsoring the show and that give me money so before you email us just make sure to to buy like at least a hundred dollars worth of fitness supplements use code carl pooling at checkout for 15 percent off and in your email just send us a picture of your receipt um obviously that was all a huge joke uh but yeah we love fnx go support them and support us at the same time all right well i guess that wraps it up chris Foster, thanks a million for coming on the show. I uh, I love your perspective and I love the pursuit that you've been on and I love riding the coattails of that around. So we really appreciate you lending your talents over here at Carpooling. Yeah. It was great having a conversation. Thanks Foster. for having me. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I just I would just end too with I think all of us as Christians are hopeful universalists in terms of at least wanting everyone to come to a knowledge of truth absolutely and and you know what maybe god absolutely. is too it's not his wish that yeah. any should perish absolutely peter 3 9 yep second peter 3 9 boom oh, the better peter um yeah you'd know that if you read it uh yeah <laughs> anyway uh guys like i said if you have any questions about this episode you want to add to the discussion email us carlpooling at gmail.com you can find the show on all the socials at carlpooling I'm at Chris X Carl hunters at emotional Carl. If you want to get in touch with foster, shoot us an email and we'll put you in touch with him. And, uh, that's been the show this week. You know, sometimes the, the Bible says to work out your faith with trembling, um, we, we, you know, with a certain amount of fear. And, uh, then, you know, God said, God was talking to, what is it? Daniel Hunter about the wet skins, the wet ram skin and the dry ram skin. Anyway, what I'm saying is if you're not sure sure about your faith, it's time to get tested. I hate this show. No one saw that one coming. Goodbye. Goodbye.